Practically everywhere you look on this planet, you can find dedicated conservationists, scientists, artists, activists, and authors working to protect a place they love. Places you might not think about often, or ever, but there's always someone fighting for nature practically everywhere you look. El Paso, Texas is a lot of things to a lot of people. Not much of a traditional conservation mecca, though. Not known as a hub of successful conservation battles to protect habitat and connectivity. Until recently. Join me as I talk to John Resendez, a combat veteran, big cat lover, was an author of the recent article at rewilding.org entitled, A Conservation Star Deep in the Heart. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth Podcast. Born and raised in Massachusetts, John Resendez had a lifelong obsession with wilderness and big cats interrupted by the tragic events of September 11, 2001. John was a high school freshman and watched the first responder jets fly overhead from the now defunct Otis Air Force Base en route to New York City and felt the unshakable urge to serve. He took that deep obligation with him to the United States Military Academy at West Point, graduating in 2009 as an infantry officer. The wilderness of the desert Southwest called him with a different sense of duty, to live among and protect those wild mountains of the borderland. The works of Dave Foreman, Ed Abbey, and Cormac McCarthy influenced him heavily during this time. John left service in 2017, and after a brief return to New England, he and his family permanently settled in the shadow of El Paso's Franklin Mountains. By day, John works for a decarbonization-focused software company that addresses the climate crisis with trusted data. On nights and weekends, he's begun to use his words in his hands to advocate for wilderness and volunteer for local nonprofits. While he's just beginning to actualize his journey as a conservationist, John is a prolific writer and aspiring Trans-Pecos chapter Texas Master Naturalist. John's awards and decorations include the Combat Infantryman Badge, the Expert Infantryman Badge, the Air Assault Badge, the Pathfinder Badge, a Bronze Star Medal, and the Coveted Ranger Tab. John, thanks so much for being on the Rewilding Earth podcast. Thank you, Jack. Pleasure to be here. I have to say that El Paso... Texas does not come up an awful lot on my bingo card for doing the kind of work that you wrote about at rewilding.org. Can you tell us about this? Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to share the work. There's a lot of great stuff going on here. A lot of grassroots stuff too, which is really the most impressive part. But El Paso is as far west in Texas as you can go. It is all the way out touching the tri-border area with New Mexico and Chihuahua. And at the heart of El Paso, Texas are the Franklin Mountains. It's this absolutely beautiful Chihuahuan Desert mountain range that extends all the way from the Rio Grande, the North Bank, the North Bank of the Rio Grande, all the way to the New Mexico border and continuing in a continuous corridor up to the Oregon Mountains in New Mexico. It's absolutely stunning and it just rises above the Tularosa Basin and you can't miss it. And it's, uh, as with just about any mountain range in the West, it's had its impacts. It's been used for the military, it's been used for mining, it's been used for cattle. But people in El Paso, especially over the last 20 to 30 years or so, have really understood the beauty and the natural wonder that the Franklin Mountains are, and they've done a great job protecting it. And it's only gotten better and stronger. As I mentioned in the article, we recently had Kastner Range National Monument, 
designated by President Biden here in March. And the Castle Range is actually a really unique part of the Franklins. It's a very ancient formation with unique, unique rock structures with ancient Native American pre-Columbian pictographs, petroglyphs, dating all the way back to preserve these ancient cultures. You can find fossils from the Permian era. It is just a, an absolute natural wonder. And it was very heavily threatened for a long time. And, you know, what's really cool is that El Pasoans came together working with the local community, local elected officials, local government agencies, and local nonprofits to really formalized this into an effort that was recognized by the army, recognized by the federal government and received formal protection. It sounds like it could be at times a very complicated project to organize for just because there's so many stakeholders. There's so many, you're even wrapping in some that we don't typically have in other areas, the government, the military, the government's always in there, the military, and then the different, the different communities in the area. And the way that you talk about it is really inspiring because it really feels like a lot of pulling together happens. Can you give some examples of some, I don't know, milestones along the way that really impressed you? Certainly. Absolutely. I would first give a shout out to the Frontetta Land Alliance. They were the nonprofit that led the way for many years. The late Judy Ackerman really spearheaded those efforts for many years. Judy worked to protect those mountains. And her work with Janae Renaud Field and Rocio Ranquillo and Katia Gonzalez there, they actually, they did, I can't tell you how many community events. That's the first time that I met Judy was when I was still in the army about, I don't know, seven or eight years ago when I'd first gotten to El Paso, a New England kid who'd never really seen desert mountains other than the ones in Afghanistan before. And I was just blown away. I was blown away by this hidden gem in the desert and meeting people like Judy at all these different events and feeling their passion and just seeing how amazing the natural history was. I think for me, one of the big milestones was when the Secretary of the Interior, Deb Holland, came down and really took a look and surveyed the land and made a consistent, a concerted effort to say, yes, this land needs protection. And that was years and years of effort. They, I can't even tell you how many things that they tried to turn cast the range into, but the, they had plans for a tech park, they had plans for all kinds of development there. And the community said, no, the community said, no, it's worth protecting. And it just happened here back in March. It is really cool to be in a celebration stage here, a victory stage, because we don't really get to have a lot of those. Oh, absolutely. And then it allows us to do things like talking about bighorn sheep reintroduction. A lot of people aren't aware of the Audad. It's this very large African sheep goat, it's maybe 50% bigger than our desert bighorn sheep. And they travel in massive herds and they've absolutely been thriving in West Texas. And they carry foreign diseases and they outcompete for the scarce resources out in the Chihuahuan Desert. And the Texas State Parks now with, obviously the, of course the state park has been protected for years, but with the addition of Castaner Range and the idea that this is protected land forever, the reintroduction of bighorn sheep is a real possibility. And it's something that they're discussing doing in the next couple of years here with active surveys taking place right now. What kind of puzzle piece does this fill where connectivity and buffer zones, and including the reintroduction possibilities, but let's go a little bit further out on the map and let us know how does this look when it's filling in those puzzle pieces? Absolutely. The Franklin Mountains and of course the State Park and Castor Range and all the land that Frontera manages, they also manage thousands of acres along the mountain. All of those protected lands by, again, the state, the federal government, and the nonprofit, 
create this massive core habitat around which the city rings, except for at the very northern edge, where there is a critical corridor to federal land in New Mexico, in the Oregon Mountains and Desert Peaks National Monument in nearby Las Cruces. Now, it, there should be even more significant connectivity to, than that. Out east, we have the Hueco Tanks State Park, which is a beautiful. All of the things about the natural and archaeological history that I said about the Franklins and Katzner also applies to Hueco Tanks. That is a very special place, even mentioned in Cormac McCarthy's Blood Meridian, a very famous American novel. It is another really important core habitat. And it's difficult, though, for the cats to get there because there's a big basin in between them. So their natural flow, historically, of course, would have been the Rio Grande and across into the Sierra de Juarez on the opposite side of the border. But with the controversy with the border right now, and most people, when you hear El Paso, you think, oh, border, migrant crises, people piled up on the river waiting to come across. And as with all things, many of that, much of that is exaggerated, not downplaying the significance of what is going on at the border, but it is a very polarizing topic. But tangential to that is the corridor that used to exist and that was a significant source of gene flow up from Mexico, not only across the river, but through the mountains on the west side of the river. And now there's just, you can drive up by 10. You can see the river. Of course, what they've done to the river is what we've done to every river in the west, but you can now see the massive border wall that cuts across Cristo Rey and through the Sierra de Juarez and just cuts due west along the arbitrary line that the border happens to be upon. And it's very damaging and restoring that corridor south to connect New Mexico to Texas to Chihuahua would be, that would be a major victory and an international one too. Ah, that's really great. That's just right in the heart of, of what we love to talk about so much here at Rewilding. In fact, that's what we were doing just recently in the Southwest with a couple of different meetups that we had on the Mogollon Rim elsewhere. Got the maps back out, started looking about where a national scenic trail, the Lobo National Scenic Trail that we're proposing might go. So when you draw people's attention to stuff like this, it tends to fire them up. A little victory can really go a very long way in a world of not having as many victories as we'd like. What's the mood now? What's everybody really fired up to do next now that they're empowered from this victory? Well, absolutely. So this morning, unfortunately, I wasn't able to attend the ceremony, but there was a, a ribbon cutting ceremony at the El Paso Museum of Archaeology, which is a beautiful museum. And one of the few places where you can actually take in the scenic nature of Kastner Range. Kastner Range is obviously still close to the public until the army has removed all the unexploded ordnance from its past as a bombing range. But the mood is still joyous. We, the, there was that ribbon cutting ceremony. There are still several victory laps. Everybody deserves credit for getting this done. But the future is about not only establishing that core land and acquiring additional pieces of land where available, but creating those corridor, corridors and connectivity to those other places that we talked about. El Paso also recently proposed and broke ground on a massive man-made arroyo project that would span from the Franklin Mountains back into the heart of the basin with the goal and the projection of returning approximately one year's worth of city water consumption every six years, which is a huge deal, of course, in the Chihuahuan Desert. And, I, and for me personally, editorializing, I think the next most important step is to make sure that it doesn't become developed. Because returning all of that water to the Bolson Aquifer is, a, is an important step to secure the city's future, but also to make sure that we're not overdeveloping and negating all the positive effects that could come from that. As we've seen along the Rio Grande with the Rio Bosque, when you actually return water to the aquifer and when you protect those wetlands, the ecosystem services that those wetlands provide 
are huge benefit. The El Paso Water Department has done a very good job of making this a significant priority. But again, with the Rio Bosque, it was a huge win for migratory birds, for burrowing owls, and for mesocarnivores like bobcat and coyote that need those little pockets to be able to hide and lay down. And that arroyo project in the Northeast, spanning the mountain to the basin, could be just exactly that. Uh, and it could be used for recreation and for outdoor activity. And I think El Pasoans need to make sure that we're not developing that as well and getting all the positive impacts that come from, again, protecting those ecosystem services. You're listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. From humble beginnings to global conservation phenomenon, the rewilding movement continues to grow and thrive amid the greatest ecological challenges our planet has faced in 65 million years. Here's how you can join us and help return balance to nature. First, go to rewilding.org and subscribe to the Weekly Digest to keep up on the latest rewilding news, interviews, and art. Second, consider donating to support the Rewilding Institute's mission to rewild North America and beyond. And for extra credit, please like, subscribe, and share this podcast to help spread the word. Thanks so much for your support. I, who got the idea of returning water to an aquifer in a place where all it seems to be doing is going in the other direction? Are there Were there any example projects where this had taken place in other places or... How did, would anybody get the idea that it would be even possible without there being just an enormous fight over it? Uh, absolutely. I think we're in a unique place here in El Paso. It is a blue city and a red state. And I think that gives the city a little bit of authority to do what the city has prioritized. And the El Paso Water Department has made it a priority to conserve water as best it can. El Paso is a growing city. Almost every city in the Sun Belt is. But making sure that we secure the city's future is more important than and again, this is just me editorializing. It's more important than just seeing the, the profit signs continue to increase. Yeah. Bravo, because I don't see a lot of that. It's the first I've ever heard of people being that forward thinking. In a state of panic, which is what the Southwest seems to be in over water, it's really remarkable, really, truly remarkable. So it, when you've added the new national monument and then Franklin Mountain State Park, what kind of a core size are we talking about in terms of acreage now? Oh, I, I don't have the figure in front of me, but there are, I would say, over, well over 100,000 acres okay. of protected core habitat there. I know Castner Range itself is on the order of 7,000. Frontera manages over 1,000 itself. And then the state park is very large. It's probably... A, 75, 80. Again, I, the, I don't have the exact statistics in front of mm -hmm. me. It is a, a good sized core habitat. Yeah. And uniquely situated to have a U shaped city, a horseshoe city, straddling it with just wilderness to the north. Now, you mentioned there will be maybe some connectivity in three places in Mexico and New Mexico and Texas. Where are you picturing that future possible connectivity to take place? Because there's a little city called El Paso right there too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I-10. <laughs> yes, that is a, a big barrier to be sure. There are a number of culverts that are intended to return water to the Rio that go up beneath the highway, that go beneath the city, not beneath the city, excuse me, but beneath some streets and some overpasses. And actually in, in what is probably one of our more underreported wins is that El Paso is actually a very core habitat for mountain lions. A lot of people know that mountain lions are very heavily persecuted in Texas. They're not regulated as a game species. If, if you see a mountain lion on your property, you are allowed to shoot it and do what you want with it. But that is not the case in El Paso. 
because between the land that the state park, there is no hunting. Obviously, Katzner is a national monument and not open to the public. And of course, there's no hunting on Frontera's land. So lions are able to thrive in the city. And they've been documented using some of these runoff canals that run to the Rio. And again, if there was no massive 30-foot fence, I have no doubt in my mind that these cats would be able to get across the river or use these sluice canals and live among us as an apex predator that, that can, you know, like the leopard in Mumbai or mountain lions here. I do think that there are, if, if we prioritize making natural landscapes with water runoff, I think that the cats and the deer and all of the vast majority of our wildlife here will find a way to move about. There, there are some threats that continue to exist, obviously, with the continued expansion around the river. Uh, and there is one spot, it's just north of the New Mexico border. It's New Mexico Road 404, also called O'Hara Road. That road actually cuts north of the Franklin Mountains and through the Sierra Vista Trail as it makes its way up to the Oregon Mountains. And that road is undergoing expansion. And that is clearly one of the major corridors for cats in and out of Texas from New Mexico. And the idea of wildlife crossings, proper culverts or bridges or however they engineer that, it would be an important part to ensure that flow as well. Again, expansion's never going to stop. Humans are, we're going to keep coming. We're going to keep coming. So we have to make sure that we are preserving the spaces and allowing the animals to move between the spaces. So I think to answer your question fully, it'll be protect as much land as we can and make sure that we're doing what we need to in order to maintain the connectivity between them. Because again, I don't see the threats ever stopping. An awful lot of people talk about your part of the world, just the border issues, and a lot of people feel like they may feel like they know really what it's like, but you guys are talking about more than that. Absolutely. It's a special place here. This is, it's a city of over 600,000 people, but it feels like a small town. People take care of each other here. It's a very multicultural city, obviously heavily Mexican influenced, but with the number of people that the army has brought. And with just the number of people, the natural beauty has brought. And of course, this city has history beyond history. Even in pre-Columbian times, this was uh, the main trading route from Chaco Canyon all the way down to Tetnoctitlan. This is, this place has history that's indescribable. People love it and people want to protect it. I did not know that it was uh, around the same size as Albuquerque, El Paso. That's pretty cool. Huge city. And when you include Las Cruces, it's nearly a million people metro area. Wow. Okay. What sorts of partnerships would you be looking at or do you have on the other side of the border in Juarez and conservation organizations that you'd be working with there to help improve those corridors that you talked about? And of course, New Mexico, but they've got a pretty good, strong community of uh, people organizing there. I'm super interested in the Northern Mexico groups that you would be working with or are working with. Personally, I won't speak for Frontera. I know they are doing some of that work. I don't have many of the details personally, but I do know that there is work that is going on with the UTEP, the Ecology and Evolutionary Biology Department, and the Northern Jaguar Project in Senora, Mexico. Mm, yeah. And that is the last or the furthest north reserve that has breeding jaguars in the world. And while we do have some random jaguars here in Arizona, large males that live in the Sky Islands and call them home and eat all the bears up. But we don't have any breeding jaguars yet here in the United States. And that is a partnership that is some active research that's ongoing. Jaguars did potentially live in El Paso during recent and colonial times using the river, but I wouldn't necessarily describe our mountains or the Chihuahuan Desert as ideal jaguar habitat. But as you well know, just 
just west of here in the Sky Islands. And even potentially someday if we could find them in the Oregon Mountains of Las Cruces again, I think we'd all die happy, but yeah. no Jaguars here. But no, that, that is something that is actively ongoing at UTEP. UTEP is University of Texas at El Paso. It's a very underrated university that does a lot of graduate and doctoral research, very heavily funded. And again, the, the ecology and evolutionary biology department is doing a lot of great international work, local work, international work, and very, very conservation for forward. But I know Frontera is also, that is something that is top of mind for them is corridors and connectivity, both up to New Mexico and into Mexico. It's just not something that I have thought an awful lot about what's going on in El Paso. You look at the town and you look at all the growth and on both sides of the border and and you just think, okay, I did not imagine this much was going on down there. It's really cool to hear. Absolutely. Yep. And as I mentioned, it's very grassroots. This is a community that loves the place that they're from and wants to protect it. Yeah. What are some of the threats that we're watching out for and protecting against now? The one that I mentioned, I think that's top of mind for me is the expansion of Route 404 in New Mexico. I know that's not technically El Paso, Texas, but that is our main corridor and turning that single lane road into a double lane highway and probably worse, lining it with light poles so that the nocturnal animals that would normally cross from the Franklins through Sierra Vista and into New Mexico will be significantly impacted by the expansion of that road. So the use of culverts or crossings is a big one for me. I know that the Frontera Land Alliance is acquiring more property as we speak. And that is a big ongoing, big ongoing piece for them is the acquisition of additional lands. I'd mentioned 404, I mentioned the Arroyo project and making sure that doesn't get developed. To me, those are the big things going on here in El Paso. But as far as zooming out, it has to be, it has to be the connectivity back to Sierra de Juarez and making sure that in particular, our mountain lions don't get genetically bottlenecked, stuck between 404 and the river and I-10 and the border. That would be, it would be a mini Florida. Yeah, the way 404 cuts across there reminds me an awful lot of the artificial and real barrier that I-40 makes in the wolf reintroduction zone around Flagstaff and how the wolves have to arbitrarily be caught if they go north and brought back into the reintroduction area. The wolves are just trying to do their thing. And Absolutely. your mountain lions are going to be trying to do their thing. And if that road's expanded... It just feels like maybe you've heard something about this, but if it's a plan, if it's already a plan, it's already out there. Somebody's probably been doing the engineering and surveying and things for years for this already. So maybe it's a little too late for this, but it just seems like a real good opportunity to say, hey, if you're going to expand the size of this road, it has to include over and underpasses. I have heard it brought up and we do have another road, Trans Mountain Road, that was made years ago that cuts directly through the heart of Franklin Mountain State Park. And while there are some opportunities for cats to take arroyos down into Castner Range and circumvent the road, there still have been a handful of mountain lion deaths that, that have been told to me anecdotally by people that have lived here for years or have worked at the state park. So that's another one. And if you take a look at the map, Franklin Mountains is a north-south running ridge, essentially, with a cluster of peaks in the middle. And that road cuts right between North and South Franklin Peak. So the idea of, again, without the cats having to circumnavigate a type of crossing there between the peaks, I think would also have additional human benefits as well. It would connect the two trails. Essentially the way right now, if you're hiking in the Franklin Mountains, you're either hiking the Ron Coleman Trail in the South, or you're using the Tom Mays Unit or Chuck Heinrich Park in the Northeast to hike North in the park. 
there is no connectivity between the north and the south ends of the park. If there were to be a bridge, say, connecting those two peaks over Trans Mountain Road, it's something that could be used by human beings for trails during the day and by wildlife that use those same human being trails at night above the road. So that is, I haven't, that's not something I've heard spoken about widely, but that is something that, that I think of every time I pass between those two peaks. When the two benefits can collide and share a common goal, I think it's a good, really good political tool. And that's what we're trying to do in Imogian with the Lobo Trail. It's the exact same thing. It's make the people understand an area by giving them a place to be excited about, give them a victory, give them, a, give them some connectivity from north to south. And so it sounds like that same kind of campaign that you guys would be waging here in that regard is just get people to fall in love with it with their own connectivity, their own trail. And then they start to learn more and more about the area, start to care a lot more about the area. And when it comes time to do so, to fight for that area. Totally agree. Totally agree. And that's one of the things that Frontera spearheading is education. They constantly have kids on their trails. They constantly have going to schools, going to events to educate people. But have them actually look up at that mountain that they've lived by their whole lives that maybe they take for granted. A story I hear often from People that are from here that have left and then come back as they go, I didn't actually realize how special El Paso was until I left and came back to look at that mountain to know there's 3,000, maybe almost 4,000 feet of prominence above the surrounding basin, depending upon where you're standing. So it's a significant feature that you can see from anywhere in the city. And oftentimes, as with anybody, wherever you grow up, you often take for granted. And uh, people that have grown up here often took that mountain for, mountain for granted until they came back. And I think that we're seeing an awakening in this community with all of the work that these nonprofits are doing. I'd mentioned in the article, we had a famous Portuguese mural artist named Bordalo II come out and he put a 64 foot mountain lion made completely out of trash. That's his thing is to have that motif of using trash to educate people about their impact on wildlife. And this lion just sits right there in downtown. And I think, again, I think we're seeing an awakening in this city. There are a lot of people that are excited about Castner Range. There's a lot of education going on and the trails are busy, but they're not overcrowded to the point that they don't make you want to go out. There's still plenty of wilderness out there to be explored in the state park and on Frontetta's land and soon, hopefully on Castner Range itself when it's open. This is all very exciting and I will have resources at rewilding.org slash POD for John's episode here. And we're, I'm sure, John, you will provide us with some extra credit, as we always like to have with every episode, especially for people who might be listening in on this and are in the region somewhere where it's easy to visit and support you, but also to just list out all the groups and people involved in all of this so that listeners can support. Maybe there's some volunteer opportunities to get on some lists to get alerts for such things, because I know that a lot of other ears are perking up right now. And going, wow, this is, if not unexpected, it's just really good news. And I'd like to be involved with it. Absolutely. No, the Frontera Land Alliance is the place to start. They are the one, along with Castner Range Forever, that have been managing the Castner Range effort. As I mentioned, they have thousands of more acres of protected arroyos and hills throughout the Franklin Mountains. They are constantly doing education work. They definitely need volunteers for trail maintenance. I was just out there. Busting my already busted back last weekend, trying to help them out as much as I can. I would say start with them. They are, they are the place to start and they are the ones that are. You had mentioned earlier on in the episode about the combining so many different stakeholders, whether it's the federal government, the local government, local utilities, uh, 
the federal government, I think I already mentioned, but Frontera has been that, that coordinating body and they are really the ones that are spearheading everything here. So if you've got, if you've got time, if you've got money, send it their direction. I'm sure Janae and the team would greatly appreciate that. John, thanks so much for taking the time to be on Rewilding Earth podcast. I'm nominating you as the rewilding spokesman for El Paso, Franklin Mountains, Kastner Range. You're the man now. Thank you. I'm just, I'm going to use a bad metaphor. I'm just a bard, right? I'm only over here singing. Janae and Frontera and everybody at the team, they're the knights out there fending off the, the constant human expansion. I'm just here to sing their praises. Thanks, John. Thank you, Jack. Thanks for listening to the Rewilding Earth podcast. We do what we do because of you. This podcast is supported by listeners like you who long to live in a wilder world. Please consider donating at rewilding.org and subscribe to our weekly news and article digest while you're there. To go the extra mile, you can follow and share Rewilding Earth on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Bonus points for sharing this podcast with your friends. To listen to past episodes, go to rewilding.org slash pod. That's rewilding.org slash pod.